Okay, let's get started for today and let's just open with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we just commit this time into your hands and we just pray that as your word is shared, um, will you speak to us, each of us, Lord, as an individual and as a community, what your word means for us today. We thank you and we just pray that your presence be with us during this time. All this we ask and we pray in the name of Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, hi everyone. Um, good to see visitors today um, and of course like fellow church members that have been around for months. Today uh, I just want to add on a few more words about communion because um, last week we did do communion um, for the first time for our church and of course we didn't like plan it or anything like that but um, in this season of Lent I was just thinking that I wanted to talk a bit more about communion and say what um, it means. I think it means for our church especially like as a church plan and also like just a few words about what it can mean for like um, the relationship between the church and the world. Alright, so sorry, my passage is not from Second Corinthians chapter 8 that's tonight. That's my first message. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we just read the passage today, so I'll, I'll get a refresher later. So my name is Ting Yang, for those of you who are here new. Uh, most people in America just call me JY because uh, my Chinese name is a bit difficult to pronounce. Uh, me and my wife and our baby daughter were from Singapore. We just got here to New York City um, last August. I'm finishing our program at NYU. Yeah, and that's why, that's why we're here. Okay, so the communion goes by many different names. Um, and some of you have known this already. Some church traditions or denominations, they call it the Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, um, the Blessed Sacrament, that's more like the Catholic Church, and then, of course, the breaking of bread. And some of these terms come directly from some of the Bible passages or the scripture that talks about the Holy Communion. And as you can see, um, based on the term that has been chosen to represent this practice in the church, they kind of emphasize different things. So for example, like the Holy Communion, Communion talks about um, participating in the death and resurrection of Jesus, but also like participating in the body of Christ. So that comes from like 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul refers to the Holy Communion as the Lord's Supper. So kind of like um, remembering that it, like the world kind of knows it as like the Last Supper. That's where Jesus had the Passover feast with his disciples. And Paul refers to it as the Lord's Supper. And some traditions, some denominations call it the Eucharist. Um, and that's kind of derives from the Greek meaning of Thanksgiving um, because Jesus gave thanks for the bread before he broke it. Um, the Catholic Church refers to it as the Blessed Sacrament and they have like, I'm not entirely familiar with the Catholic Church, but they do have like different sacraments, which are like the most important practices that they have um, in the Catholic Church and communion is one of them. And of course in Acts 2.42, when Luke was kind of like describing the early church and what was going on, he just simply referred it to as the breaking of bread. All right, so as we can see, just based on the term that's being used, different traditions or church denominations might emphasize different parts of the communion. And when we talk about the institution of communion, um, there are four key passages that um, people will usually look at from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and of course, 1 Corinthians. Um, so back in Singapore, before um, we came to New York, um, my wife and I, we attended a church that was, uh, was kind of like bigger, and we took communion every week. So every Sunday, every every church service there will usually be communion unless like it's a special service or um, the service is shorter but otherwise every main service would do a communion um, and without fail every week we will do it so 
at some point in time, I think a few years ago, I was um, I started being asked to kind of like lead the communion. So how communion looks like in our church back in Singapore is that someone would be on the stage to share one of the passages, usually from um, one of these four passages. It's nothing too like complicated or like elaborated, but just reflecting on this four pas- one of these four passages about Jesus breaking bread and um, pouring out the cup. And then um, usually we'll sing a couple of worship songs that reflect on the death and resurrection of Jesus and the cross of, of Jesus. And the whole thing takes about like 20 minutes. Yeah. So it's a pretty long affair compared to like a lot of churches that um, I've been to and seen where church services tend to be short. 20 minutes is, is a lot of time. Um, but our elders and our church leaders really like really emphasize the value and importance of reflecting on the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's why they, they put a lot of emphasis on um, the communion. So having led kind of like communion for a number of years, I, I do have kind of like very personal and also very deep reflections on, on what communion means for me at least, if not for the, for the congregation. So that's kind of like what I want to share today. So just to very quickly um, list down all the key points, like a combination of the four passages, we know that the bread represents the body of Jesus, the cup is the blood of Jesus, and the cup is also referred to as the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Um, I think a couple of the passages talk about doing this in remembrance of Jesus, not all the passages say this. And a couple of passages talk about Oh, actually, I think only the one in Corinthians talks about um, when we take communion, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. All right. And in a couple of the Gospels, Jesus does talk about how he will not drink of the fruit of this wine until he drinks it with us in the Father's kingdom. So this is just a very quick summary of what a communion is, especially if um, anyone's not entirely certain or clear about it. That's okay. So I just want to do a bit of comparison as well. So... Um, the idea of Jesus' blood being the blood of the covenant or the new covenant in some passages um, is kind of like a parallel to the old covenant in the Old Testament. And I would say that it's a bit of a misnomer. That means the, the term is kind of misleading. It's not really like an old and new covenant. It's kind of like, I would say it's more like an extension, if not exactly an extension, because Jesus was not kind of like a, oh, the old covenant didn't work and now let's have Jesus because um, something failed and then there's like a backup plan. That's not the case, okay? Because Jesus was always being prophesied in the Old Testament. So the new was kind of like the fulfillment of what was already being prophesied in the Old, in the old Testament, mm-hmm. right? So when we talk about the old covenant, um, that was the covenant was made with the Israelites. And for them, um, it was really sacrificing burnt offerings and peace offerings to kind of substitute for their sins and to as sin offerings to God. And we can find that in like passages like Exodus chapter 24. And in our time today, when Jesus came and he established the early church and the church that we know today, um, we know that the covenant that God makes is with everyone who follows Jesus. And Jesus is the one who is actually being sacrificed. So just want to kind of like point out that parallel down there before we go on. Okay, and right now I'm just going to take a very quick look at history, um, how it leads up to like the Holy Communion. So we know that Jesus broke bread and poured out the cup at the Passover with his disciples before he was crucified. So we kind of have to 
take into the uh, I take into consideration the context of the Passover as well. And when we see the first Passover, we are reminded that in Exodus chapter 12, verse 26 to 27, uh, Moses told the people of Israel, this is when they were having the first Passover, um, the 10 plagues of Israel, if you guys have read the story before, the last plague was kind of like the angel of death sweeping across the land of uh, Egypt and basically putting to death every um, firstborn male of the family, unless the household was kind of like painted with the blood of a lamb. Um, over the doorpost, okay? So after that happened and um, the Israelites, the Hebrews' children were spared because of the practice that they did, um, Moses kind of like called this the Passover and he was explaining this to the, uh, to the Israelites based on what God spoke to him about and he said, and when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. Okay, so it reminds us of how um, in this passage, it reminds us of how there is this element of you have to tell the next generation. It's kind of like when your children ask you, why are we having this feast called the Passover? This is what you tell them. So the Passover wasn't just a feast that was like, done once or twice but it was done in every generation year after year um, especially if you're still a practicing Jew if you're uh, or you've practiced the uh, Judaism today okay and let's move forward so if we fast forward to the modern day context of Jews and Judaism um, there is this idea of the Passover Haggadah and this is actually a set of like benedictions prayers or uh, midrashic comments that's comments made by rabbis over the centuries and psalms that are recited at the ritual on the eve of passover okay and you can google this up and there's a lot of information um kind of like written for non-jewish people or people who just want to know more about the jewish culture mm -hmm. and it's very helpful so what happens is that um before they have the passover feast they kind of have like a set of things that they would traditionally do and um, the words that are spoken over the Passover feast are not, there's not like you need to say this in the exact same way, but there are certain meanings that are kind of like um, commented on during the Passover feast. So for example, like one example of Passover liturgy would be like um, when they look at the bread and we take the bread, they say like, this is the bread of affliction, which our ancestors, meaning the, the Jewish ancestors ate when they came from Egypt. And this would usually be like unleavened bread, okay? And um, there will be like practices or rituals, for example, uh, one, one ritual that's kind of like repeated quite often or like more familiar to people who look into Jewish culture would be this idea of asking four questions. So usually the youngest child or someone who is at a Passover feast would ask four questions. The first one would be like, um, on every other night, that means on a normal night, we would eat either bread or unleavened bread. But why on this night, which is the night of the Passover feast, do we only eat unleavened bread? Okay, and then they'll ask a few questions and then someone will respond. So it's kind of like a, um, yeah, a back and forth response. And, and that's also kind of like how certain churches do their liturgy as well. For example, like the Catholic Church or the Anglican Church, um, that's something that they do with, with the congregation. All right, but for the Passover, the reason they add, eat unleavened bread is to remind them of how when um, 
the Hebrews left Egypt, they were, they were living in such a hurry that they didn't have time for um, the bread to rise. So basically, they just cooked the bread with, uh, without, without yeast and just, just ate the bread all, along the way, basically. That, that's what it was. Okay, but again, what I wanted to point out was this idea of how um, the Passover wasn't just a feast or like a normal church service, but it was something that was very communal and you do it like um, usually within your family. Of course, we know that some people don't have family members. They're either like living alone or they don't have children or things like that. But generally speaking, it's not something that you would do yourself. You would not have the Passover feast yourself if you had people that you could do it with. Okay, and I'm pretty sure like in each of our cultures, whether it's uh, Korean or Chinese or like Peruvian, um, there are festivals, there are events that you wouldn't like celebrate yourself. Like for example, like the Chinese, we have the Chinese New Year and that's usually a time where family members will come together um, from different parts of the world or different parts of the country just to have a meal together. And we call it like the reunion dinner. It's like kind of like, Everyone's apart, but for this very night, we'll come together. So for the Israelites and for the Jewish people today, the Passover feast is kind of something of the same idea that you don't do it individually. You don't do it by yourself. You don't like make a whole feast and sit by yourself and say, I'm going to have the Passover. I'm just going to read this set of scripture or like set of prayers for myself. You usually do it in a group context. And there are certain um, practices, for example, the, the questions I mentioned that require kind of like interaction between um, different people who are attending the Passover feast. And that's where the meaning comes from. Okay. And when we talk about communion, um, we see similar ideas to the idea of Passover. In the case of communion, it's not about being animals being sacrificed or bread being broken, but we remember that the body of Jesus was broken for us and the blood of Jesus shed for the forgiveness of our sins and for salvation. And some of the communion passages remind us that we are actually remembering Jesus and proclaiming his death until he returns. Okay, and um, in, ch in churches where, you know, you really can't tell like who's going to come for a church service today and if you are taking communion that day, we could be proclaiming the Lord's death to... Um, fellow Christians or even like non-Christians who are coming in to, to visit. Okay, and that's what the communion is about. Yeah. All right, right now I'm going to kind of like do a bit of transition and talk a bit about a passage that is related to the Holy Communion, but it's not um, often looked at or explained. Okay, and I think this actually gives a bit more context to or importance to what the communion means for the church today. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 27 to 34, and these are verses that we read um, earlier on, okay, Paul is kind of like, he's actually scolding the Corinthians. He's telling the Corinthians that when they come together to have the Holy Communion, it's not actually the Holy Communion. So he says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Okay, so this passage... Um, 
I, I've heard many different interpretations of it and I, I believe they are all kind of like true to a certain extent, but I kind of want to put it back into the context that it originally came in. So some people think that um, when Paul talks about eating or drinking the cup in an unworthy manner and then um, people at a time dying because of that or becoming weak and ill, he's talking about like, if you don't repent of your sin and then you take up the Holy Communion, um, you're going to become weak and ill and then um, possibly even dying, okay? So that's how some people interpreted it. When I was uh, in my high school and I just started attending, joining a church, um, some of the people who, some of the teenagers and, and young adults who have been there for like a while, they would um, jokingly tell me like, um, you know, you just joined this church and in our church, only people who have um, been baptized can take the Holy Communion. It was kind of like an unspoken rule. It wasn't like a written rule in the church rule book or guidebook. It was an unspoken rule, but they would like joke with me about it and they'll tell me like, you know, if you eat it, you might die. <laughs> yeah, based on this passage because you're not taking it in a worthy manner. All right. Um, so what does this really mean? And I think when we put it back in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we get a better idea of what Paul really means about eating the bread and drinking the cup in an unworthy manner. Okay, let me finish up with this passage, okay? So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. So just looking at this passage, um, sorry, the one over here is actually referring to 1 Corinthians. The, er the earliest part of the passage I'm reading, actually, um, I think it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, not 11. But the idea is that in the Corinthian church, what, one of the problems that they are facing at the time was um, the idea of factionalism. So it was a pretty big church and because of that, there were certain church leaders or people in the church who were more um, well-known, more significant, and people started to say that they were following like this church leader or this church person, but not the other. And you can see this in 1 Corinthians chapter, um, the first few chapters, chapter 1 and 2. And because of that, that also kind of um, the factionalism problem was kind of showing up when they take the Lord's Supper as well. Because down, down here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, Paul talks about how when people eat, they are not um, waiting for each other, but they are kind of like just going ahead. Okay, and remember that the Lord's Supper in, in the earlier church, in the early church, was not taken um, like how we do it in most churches today, which is like part of like a church service. It was more like in the tradition of the Passover where you would take off the bread and the cup and then you would have like a meal. It could be lunch, it could be dinner, whatever, but it was part of the meal. Just like how when Jesus broke bread and um, poured out the cup, it was part of the Passover feast. So pretty much he was like doing it in the context of like a dinner. They, they probably had like a great meal after um, breaking bread or maybe he did it in the middle of Passover. We don't know. We don't have enough details for that. But um, that's the idea and that's the context for First Corinthians chapter 10 and 11. Okay, so Paul here is saying that um, he's scolding the Corinthians because um, they're not waiting for each other for the Lord's Supper, but each of them are just saying that, I'm just going to take the Lord's Supper and then now I'm going to start eating and I'm going to start drinking. And what happens is that some people get drunk and people who come later, um, and some I think there's a, there's a sentence that kind of alludes to the poor people coming later, um, they go hungry because there's no, more, there's no more food to eat. Okay, and Paul is like scolding them, you know, you guys, do you, know, do you not have your own houses to go back home to eat and drink? Why do you need to do this in the church? Why do you need to behave this way in the church? 
All right. So when Paul talks about eating and drinking in an unworthy manner, um, he's actually talking a bit more about the community and how they are not treating the community respectfully or with um, the right attitude towards their fellow church members or their community members. Okay, because each of them are just doing their own thing. They don't have any regard. They don't think about like, you know, hey, why is this person coming late? Or why is this person not here yet? Um, let's just start without this person. That's basically what they're saying. And Paul is telling them to kind of reflect on themselves, to examine themselves, what's their attitude towards the community. And um, in this verse that you can see on screen, he talks about discerning the body. And I, I think there is an element that the body here refers not just to the physical body, but about discerning the body of Christ, which is um, the church of God, the people of God. Okay, and finally down here, it talks about how if you're hungry, you know, um, yeah, basically eat at home. Because when you come together, it's really about proclaiming the Lord's death together and remembering the death of Jesus together. Okay, so um, kind of just wrapping up here, I want to just say that um, there's this idea that in communion, there is community. I just want to kind of remind us today, especially in light that we took communion with people last, um, last Sunday, that communion is really not taken individually, but communally. And it should remind us of not just the death and resurrection of Jesus, that, that is important, but it should also remind us of our relationships and our responsibility to the body of Christ because of what God has done um, on the cross, basically. Okay, and down here, I'm just going to read a couple of um, other passages as well. Just give me a second over here. Okay, I'm going to read a couple of passages that I think point to the same idea and I think are important. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16, um, Paul says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel, uh, consider people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar. Okay, so basically he's just pointing back also to um, the tradition of Israel and also reminding us that, you know, as a church, we are partaking of the same bread, we are partaking of the same body of Christ. And because of that, we are one body. We who are many are one body. And that's what we need to remember as well when we take the Holy Communion. Um, and I think this is very meaningful and it does come out in certain church practices as well. Um, so back in Singapore, the church that um, me and my wife go to, uh, they used to have this practice of making the, the same unleavened bread from um, like a big piece of unleavened bread and then breaking it up so that every member takes partakes of the piece from like a bigger piece. But as the church grew, of course, like um, when it became like, like 500 members and then like people uh, and then it's built over in like different congregation. Uh, it's just impossible build, build big, <laughs> make such a big bread, right? So they, they, they had no choice but to give up their tradition and kind of like just make do with like smaller pieces. But um, I found that part of history very meaningful because it reminds us of how we are part of that same bread or body of Christ. That's where we come from. 
Okay, just going to read a couple more passages before we close for today. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. Um, down here, the author of Galatians remind us that as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Okay? I don't think Paul is drawing any distinction between like, you know, Christians are worth more than non-Christians or uh, otherwise, but he's kind of like reminding us that there is something special about the relationships between Christian to Christian um, who are of the same body of Christ. And there's something very precious about that that we have to remember. Okay, and finally, um, let me go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. And I kind of like just want to end on this note and offer a, a few more like more personal thoughts. Um, 2, Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14 says, For the love of Christ controls us. Uh, this is the, in the ESV version. Um, the version that I kind of like prefer is the love of Christ compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Meaning as we partake of the Holy Communion, we remember the death of Jesus. And we remember also that because of the death of Jesus, we no longer live for ourselves. But the love of Christ compels us, it drives us, it it kind of like, it's almost like uncontrollable. It, it forces us in, in a sense to think about living for Jesus. And because if we live for Jesus, we also live for um, his people who, are, who is the body of Christ. Okay. And I just want to offer a few more, um, more personal comments. And this will be comments that are like a bit more, I think, uh, more appropriate for the church plan. Um, so visitors might not, you, you might not understand some of the context, that's fine. But I think Piero and then if some of the other church members, they listen to the message after today, I think it will make more sense. So I think Holy Communion, even though we don't take it um, every week, like, like, um, like me and my wife do back in, back in Singapore, for me, it has this idea of reminding me about what is my relationship, what is my responsibility to the church that I go to in this, in this season, this church plan, and to the people who are um, coming to this, to this church. So for regular church members, um, even for, for visitors today who you guys have, the churches that you go to, I think communion is about remembering people who go to your church, uh, who go to your community, who are part of your community. And this includes people who have come before and who have not been coming for a while. So... I mean, we don't talk about this much, um, um, but, you know, like, like for me, at least, like, just being with this church plan for, I think, almost seven, seven months, um, every now and then, I'll, I'll really think about, like, people who, have, who, have, who, have, who came for, like, a season, but who have stopped coming um, to the Sunday service. I know they attend, like, gospel encounters and some of the other, like, um, small group events. Like, people like Roger, people like Neil, um, people that I met before, like, like, AJ and even, like, Katie, you know, I think... It's just on my heart, like how, like, um, even though they don't come to Sunday service, I feel like they are like part of the church through other ways and just prayerfully, you know, um, yeah, just prayerfully and, and, and hopefully one day they would also be like part of that, that Sunday community, which is, which would be so, um, which would be such a blessing and such a, a precious thing to, to us and to God. 
um and and I remember like during the winter season we we had to miss like a couple of like the gatherings because um because we were we had some symptoms we we tested negative but we had some symptoms of COVID so we wanted to be safe, um and then during the the January season when we had like just online services and then like just recognizing that for example like Kimberly who had who had been seeing for like a few months um didn't come to online service and just wondering like where she was and things like that I feel like um yeah to me that's what communion was about it was remembering like like people that we have connected with but who have not um, been coming or for whatever reasons and, and just really thinking about them of course I wish I could do more I wish I could be more like 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 outreaching but yeah I know myself I'm, not, I'm the kind of person that just can only like maintain maybe like like five to ten good relationships <laughs> I'm not the most extroverted person yeah but I just kind of like just keep remembering them um, like just in my heart, in my mind, in my prayers and things like that. Yeah. Um, and I think the idea of communion also has a lot of meaning for people who are always on the move. And I can think about like people like missionaries or like itinerary um, pastors or preachers or ministers. Um, like for example, like just this weekend, we, uh, the, the four of us, we were away um, at another church and two of you were ministering. And I was just really struck by how like how welcoming the church was and how um, friendly they were and how generous they were, especially like Pastor Kenny and, and his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there, there is this idea, you know, like because Christians, we recognize that we are part of the body of Christ. I, I believe there's some kind of like special spiritual connection down there. Even if we don't like, haven't seen each other before, even if we don't like see each other for the rest of our lives or, and only in the, in the kingdom to come, um, whenever a Christian meets another Christian, I feel like there's always some kind of like special connection that is built on the body of, of, of Christ, on the work of the cross. And so in, in our interactions with Christians from across churches and coincidentally visitors today and in other countries, I think um, communion reminds us of how we need to be, um, we need to be welcoming, we need to be hospitable, we need to kind of like do good as Paul says in, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. And finally, I just want to end on this note. Um, like being someone who's new in the United States, I don't want to be like, I, I, I definitely no expert on like um, what American society is like and what's happening in America. I, I don't claim to be expert on that. I've been learning about it in school as a, as a social worker and then hearing um, different classmates and people in, in the United States talk about um, very personal and very societal issues, for example, like including race and racism. Um, but I think when we think about the Holy Communion and what that means for the church, it really reminds us of healing and reconciliation through the blood of Jesus for communities. Mm-hmm. Because essentially, when we partake of the Holy Communion, whether um, we are saying that, you know, regardless of um, who we are, who we are and we still are, whether regardless of our race, our nationality, our gender, um, whatever identities we believe we hold, we are connected and we are united through the body of Jesus and through the work of Jesus on the cross. And I think the Holy Communion does remind us of how, like in the church, um, regardless of who that person is, whether you have seen him or her before, um, whatever history there is because of our cultural identities, there is always healing 
um, for injustice, for crime, for war, for violence that um, has historically broken some of these communities. And I think in, in America today, we can think about like very sensitive issues like race and racism. Mm. And then now with the war in Ukraine and what that means for like, say, Russian Christian brothers and sisters with Ukrainian sisters and brothers, um, things like that. And I think the communion reminds us of how um, the one thing or the one person that connects us all in a very deep way, in a way that's healing and in a way that is um, that reconciles relationships is the person of Jesus Christ. And I think that's what the season of Lent um, calls us to reflect on as well about how, about how the work of the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus um, builds the church together and binds it in unity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just want to kind of end of this note and and yeah, just just taking communion last week and just reflecting over these past seven months, I think for Lara and me, and these are more personal comments, um, if it's not appropriate for the recording, just edit it out. Um, yeah, I think just thinking about how like we came and then we were like, we were like going around also like visiting different churches and thinking like where we want to be. And I remember like um, Piero and, and Andrea, like I think a couple of times you asked us like, you know, you, you guys were kind of afraid, like, um, wasn't sure, like, whether we really wanted to be here <laughs> week after week. I, I just want to say that, yeah, we really thought about, like, where God was placing us, where God was, like, putting us in community. And, um, yeah, those are things that we really think very carefully and we value. And, and when, we, when we put ourselves in the church, we do ask ourselves, like, is this some place that we feel like we would um, want to stay and to contribute to even as the church contributes to our lives. And yeah, and I think this is a reflection that comes out even as I was thinking about, about communion. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's that, I think it's not, not been easy being a church plan. Um, people come and go, but it does remind us about how, um, yeah, every person that comes in is precious. Some people stay, some people don't. And some people go to like the small groups and they don't come to the to the Sunday service. But I feel like um, there is a connection, there is a community that, that God is calling us to to build. Yeah. And I just wanna just wanna end on that note. And we can yeah, just close in prayer right now before Piero comes and gives the announcement. So Father in heaven, we just thank you for your work on the for the work of Jesus on the cross that during this season of Lent. Um, thank you for reminding us of the death and then also the resurrection of Jesus Christ and thank you for reminding us of what um, that sacrifice means for us today not just as an individual not just as um, what Jesus has done for me but reminding us of what Jesus has done for a people the people of God and for our communities not just here but across um, New York City and across the United States and even in other parts of the world that even across denominations and traditions one practice that um, really unites us all is the Holy Communion the breaking of bread that no matter where we are or in which um, era of Christianity we are in um, one thing that stays the same and is practiced again and again is the breaking of bread so Father we just want to bless this community we want to just um, pray your blessing and your favor over uh, New City NYC International Church 
and we just pray that you continue to build this community. Lord, we just um, ask for your favor to be, to be upon Piero and Andrea as they, they um, serve different members in the, in the community, that as they, um, as they serve in different ministries as well in the, in the small groups on, on Tuesday as they go out to meet um, different students and people as well where your presence and your anointing um, go with them as well, Lord. And we pray that this community will be built um, with the people that you have called to this community. That, Lord, we just want to remember that every person, um, however they are connected to this ministry, is important. And we, we just pray for that day, Lord, that um, even people who have been attending, like, um, the gospel encounters, the, the small groups, that they would have the opportunity to come on Sunday and that we will be able to fellowship, to worship, and to partake of Holy Communion um, as, one, as one church, Lord. Yeah, and, and Lord, we are just reminded um, through your Holy Communion of the day in, in, in your kingdom when you return for your church that all of us, every brother and every sister in, across every nation um, will be reunited in your kingdom, Lord. And what a glorious, what a... What a happy day that will be, Lord. So we thank you and we just um, ask for your blessing over the week as well as we go about the things that we need to do, whether it's work or study. Lord, be with us and will your Holy Spirit fill us always, Lord. We thank you and all this we ask in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.